the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Bud Elliott. I'm Chip Patterson. A big week, college football taking center stage. We've got uh, the Media Days SEC kicking off here in a a matter of hours as we're recording here on Monday morning. Uh, The ACC will begin on Wednesday. Big 10 begins on Thursday. Big 12 uh, in the books right now. And so among the other pieces of business that we have for today, we're going to hit you with some big recruiting news from over the weekend. A lot of commits. Hey, a lot of them on CBS Sports HQ. That was pretty killer right there. CBS Sports HQ, CBSSportsHQ.com, all through the CBS Sports app. We are getting live commitments from blue chip uh, members of the 2022 class. It's very, very exciting stuff. But with the big Media Days week, and we're going to have some Media Days takeaways, but I thought it would be cool to, you know, maybe anticipate what the headlines and the big storylines are going to be. And, and maybe let's just try to get the fans ready for uh, something that might not be as out front and center. Some of the underrated storylines, the things that are interesting to us that might not get as much focus so that we can have some balance to uh, all of our conversations this week. So I'm, are you, you're going to ACC Media Days, right? I am, yeah. Do a little little media work there. Do a little kind of uh, behind the scenes meeting with some of our 24-7 sports guys, trying to make up for some lost time because I, I got hired on February 27th and like the pandemic hit on March 8th ish of 2020. So I, there's a lot of our guys who, who I've never met in person. And since they're going to be there, I'm really excited to go and, and meet them and you know talk about their shows in the 24 seven sports podcast network. Is the pr- like are pretty much the like off the top. Oh man, I, I never mind. I'm not going to run through it, but like off the top of my head, you know, there's the, the 20, same 24 seven sports voices that were on, on around the clock. Like, are, yep. are we going to see most of those team sites well represented at the event? Yeah, I, I believe pretty much everybody we have is sending at least one person to the event. So that, that should be pretty solid. Very, very cool. Uh, be sure as always to, to keep tabs at 24, seven sports, 24, seven sports.com. Okay. So the, the premise and the pitch was underrated storylines and, uh, I, you and I both have our own list. There is some some crossover here. We're, we're working a little bit uh, in simpatico. And I, I guess I want to begin with uh, a look at the Big Ten, which will open its which will open its media days on Thursday. And the I think the dominant storylines are going to be number one, uh, Ohio State. They just take up so much oxygen in the conversation. And we've got a new quarterback. Uh, you know, we've had all of the success. I mean, you know, since Ryan Day took over, and we mentioned this in a previous podcast, but we haven't had the Iowa loss. We haven't had the Purdue loss. The defeats that the Buckeyes have had have been in games against opponents that are their peers. Um, so everything so far is going to be building towards like, you know, Ryan Day, Ohio State, national title, yada, yada, yada. 
There's also going to be a lot of Michigan talk, a lot of Jim Harbaugh, you know, the the sham extension. What does it mean? What kind of job security does he have? Uh, our own Dennis Dodd had Scott Frost uh, leading the way. I, I think that is the most interesting hot seat, but that is going to be just sort of a big uh, over-the-top storyline, especially for a team that we're not expecting much of. Like the talk around Nebraska is not going to equal what I'm anticipating in terms of the performance on the field. But, Bud, you and I are both sort of dialed into something else in the Big Ten. And and I guess you've got some Harbaugh stuff on this too, but I feel like Penn State's flying really under the radar, and I, I'm calling this a little bit of a pivot point type season because you can throw away a lot of what we saw from 2020 because of COVID issues, the Big Ten in general presenting all kinds of um, you know difficulties in terms of doing real analysis and evaluation. But, you know, you make the changeover at offensive coordinator the year after making the changeover at offensive coordinator. We're still sticking with Sean Clifford. You know, Will Levis is gone. So you just got to ride with Clifford here. I think Penn State, for what it can be, is probably one of the most interesting teams uh, to look at in the Big Ten. And I think it's going to go a little bit under-discussed. I, I agree with you. Um, I will say that uh, I was guessing on uh, You Better You Bet, which is a radio show out of Chicago over the weekend. And uh, – they had a couple of our guests on and we all kind of hit on Penn state. And these are folks who I think make their own numbers, attack numbers early. Like we all are pretty bullish on Penn state this year. Please so, tell me that you were on with Nick, right? Uh, yeah. I love uh, Nick Costas. Uh, well, excuse me. No, uh, Costas went on there. It was, it was uh, um, Ken Barkley. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, you know, uh, Lockie Lockerson. So um, yeah, like I think everybody seems to like Penn state as far as the people who do their research. If you remember, this is a good example, I think of, the trap that some folks could fall into if they really didn't watch the games, if they didn't dig into the box scores, and if they just put too much into last year's data. Recall that they outplayed Indiana in basically every facet of that game. They think they had a post-game win expectancy over 90%. Indiana's always going to celebrate that win. Can't take it away from them. If you line them up on the field the next day, I'm still betting Penn State, and I'm still laying the points with Penn State against Indiana the very next day last year based on how the game played out. Then their season hopes were kind of dashed when they lost to Ohio State. It was the national runner-up. I think they came out kind of flat against Maryland. They played pretty damn well the rest of the year. I talked to somebody on Penn State staff who told me that you know they they thought that that the OC they had last year, um, Soraka, was really really brilliant. But it was a much slower pace. It was a more thinking offense. And his quote to me was basically like, "Our kids have grown up playing at high tempo offense." Right. And we want that. That's just what they're comfortable with. They're not really comfortable slowing it down and, and doing a lot of, a lot of thinking. We want to go fast. We, we, we want to be, want to be open, want to be aggressive with it. And they think Mike Yurcich is going to kind of fit the development of the team throughout these kids' careers so far, I guess is a good way to put it. And you're, also what would help them is having Noah Kane and Journey Brown back because yeah, losing like, those dudes in game one or in preseason was a huge deal. Yeah. The, the personnel issue for Penn state, you know, the opt out of Micah Parsons, but then also the injury issues and like actual COVID availability issues that they were having on a week to week basis made it really, really tough to be able to imagine that what we saw in 2020 was expected. The, do you think that the switchover at offense is enough? Because uh, to your point, we were Joe Moorhead followed by Ricky Ronnie. Ricky Ronnie was an assistant. That was a promotion. Ricky Ronnie then gets the head job at Old Dominion. You go outside hire, go get Sharaka from Minnesota. Move on from Sharaka. You bring in Yursic. Yursic was at Texas, right? I'm doing this off the top of my head right now. Yep. Okay. And do you believe that Yursic is closer to your Moorhead Ronnie 
line of thinking based on so, sort of the conversations with uh, with that Penn State staff? The, the the staffer I spoke with believes that, yeah. He thinks that like what the kids learned, you know, kind of 2018, 2019 will, will match up better with what Yersich is doing uh, than what Soraka was doing in 2020. And he wanted to make clear, like, he liked Kirk Soraka. He thought the guy was really, really sharp. He just, maybe the kids didn't pick it up as well. And also, COVID offseason, really weird. Hard to install new stuff last year. I think that'll be a theme throughout a lot of these things. I, I'm bullish on Penn State, Chip. Um, I I think that they're they're a nine-plus win team in the regular season. I have them 75% plus to win in pretty much all their games except Wisconsin, which is on the road, at Iowa. And Boston. And at Penn State. <laughs> or, or excuse me, at, at Iowa State. Yeah. Right. right. <laughs> Tens, yeah. But I mean, home games, Auburn, Indiana, Maryland, or excuse me, uh, Michigan, Rutgers. I feel pretty good about those. So the, the point that I think you hit really early on, which was great, is like anybody who's doing the numbers and like really crunching data is probably looking at Penn State a lot more with with a lot more favor and in a much more interested manner than what we're going to get from our storylines and our narrative driven conversations that are going to be coming out of the week. Uh, all right, we've got a, a lot of different options here. What's where do you want to take this? What's an underrated storyline that uh, that you're starting to think about that you want to make sure gets some attention during this major narrative driven week of college football talk? So one, we're, we're talking about Oklahoma or did Iowa State miss its window? Can Iowa State somehow improve and be even better? than they were last year. Chip, I see you know, one, two, three, four, five, six teams, and almost seven teams in the Big 12 that I'm projecting for between like three and a half and five and a half Big 12 wins. That would be what? Baylor, Kansas State, Oklahoma State, TCU, Texas, and the Mountaineers. A lot of those programs are in very different states right now. Mm. Baylor has a second-year coach, which I know we'll talk about some second-year coaches in a minute. Texas has, has a first-year coach. West Virginia has a – is Neil Brown in year three? Year third, I think. I think so. Yeah. Um, TCU with Gary Patterson. A lot of people think that team has, has some real upside this year. I'm kind of one of them. Oklahoma State, is Gundy just going to be consistent old Gundy? Potentially. I think Kansas State's a team that I, I agree with Ben Kirchhoff, by the way. I went ahead and played them over – this weekend with Kansas State to the over, I, I think that's that's a favorable number you can get. Um, man, I, I I am really fascinated to see how how all this shakes out because you could tell me that Baylor finishes third in the Big Twelve, you could tell me that Baylor finishes you know second to last, and I have a hard time arguing with you. Really, same thing with a lot of these teams. Would it shock you if Texas finished third, you know, or or if they finished ninth or eighth? So the. The interesting proposition. Well, I know you like Texas, but well, yeah. The interesting proposition is also like who has the most to lose, most to gain, most to lose. Like Texas year one Sark finishing at the bottom of a pile when they lose a couple one possession games because the the middle of the Big Twelve. Like, and I don't mean this dismissively, but there are going to be some bananas games, some weird results, and it's going to separate five and four from four and five, and then three and six. Normally, the teams that finish six and three or seven and two, whoever is closest to Oklahoma, doesn't always get sort of involved in this this mismatch, this mishmash that you're talking about here in the middle of the standings. But it's in terms of quality of team, I don't really separate them that much from the top of that pile to the bottom of that pile. If Kansas State finishes at the bottom of that pile, you're disappointed, but hopefully you've been able to uh, pick up a 
couple non-conference wins. Maybe you're going to a bowl game. Maybe you're not. If it's, if you're Baylor, you're disappointed if you finish at the bottom of that pile. But if you're Texas and finish at the bottom of the pile, not good. If you're Oklahoma State and finish at the bottom of the pile, not good. TCU even at the bottom of that pile might bring up some consternation in terms of the, you know, I agree with you. What does yes. it mean for Gary Patterson? Then you look at the what you said the other side. If Baylor finishes at the top of the pile, you're like, whoa. We need to reevaluate Dave Aranda. Um, if Kansas State, oh, I don't mean to be disrespectful here, but if Kansas State finishes at the top of that pile, I think something went wrong for a couple of those teams that are also in the group. Oklahoma State, you're believing in Gundy again. Texas, I think that that'd be meeting expectations. So they're, to your point, programs in different places that also would have very different reactions depending on where they land, and it will all be decided by one possession games in October and November. I completely agree. I think it's going to be fascinating to watch. I mean, I, again, we're looking for underrated storylines here. Is there a conference that's more wide open than this as far as the, the, the race to kind of finish, you know, like, like, like the middle 80%? I don't know. It is uh, the Pac-12 would have an argument for that's there fair. because the there's just, like, I don't, depending on how you, you feel about Jed Fish in Arizona, and whatever might happen at Arizona State. Uh, what about Oregon State? I'm trying to see if I can fill the bottom tier or whether there's like enough belief in an Oregon State. I think there's enough belief in a Colorado. I think that there is maybe enough belief in Nick Rolovich in Washington State. Like, I don't know if there's a really program in a, in a bad place in the North. I think in the South, you might just have Arizona. I think you might be right. We also have to figure out what Stanford's going to do. God, where are you at with Stanford? I almost included them on this list. Late, late edition. Like, are you, are you ho hum, or do you do you think that we'll see something? Because I'm, I'm starting to wonder if they'll just be like a, a seven and five team. Oh yeah, they're Stanford. They'll make life tough for you, but you know they'll go seven and five. There's no real reason for me to believe in what they're doing right now, based on the last couple of years. But also, I mean. If you want to think about a program that probably took COVID really, really seriously based on, you know, what that university is and where they are in the country, like I would bet that Stanford was probably not hosting like secret practices and, and you know, having a lot of kind of informal team meetings. So they, they probably took it pretty seriously. So they're a team I don't want to judge you know, too harshly uh, for what they did last year. But even two years ago, we were starting to see right? yeah. like a, a little bit of a, a step off pace. Um, all right. Another uh, year two storyline that oh, another storyline that is underrated and, and often doesn't get uh, a lot of spotlight because we focus so much on the new hires and new hires, especially as we've talked about it in, here on the podcast in the early signing period era, it's like a whole new kind of clock. Um, I wrote a feature actually recently on cbsports.com analyzing or taking a look at some of the, the coaches going into year two. Uh, you know, I've got Eli Drinkwitz and Dave Aranda at the top of my list. What year two coaches do you uh, have have a lot of interest in as we uh, as we go ahead into 2021? I mean, I, I think there's a whole lot of them. Dave Aranda, as you mentioned, is is one that I'm I'm you know very interested in because I, I was pretty down on what they did last year. They had a lot of very difficult circumstances, but I don't know that those circumstances made Dave Aranda just mismanage games so poorly, uh, especially just the. They, they, they already played somewhat slowly at times, and then they would just give away possessions in opponent territory repeatedly and just kneecapping themselves as far as ability to score. Uh, and you know, it made me think, oof, Dave Aranda's coaching like a Will Muschamp. I'm still a defensive coordinator, not ready to be a head coach type coach, but I'm not out on him, right? I think there's, there's potential to, to turn that around. Obviously, he's a really smart guy. He's pretty analytical. Um, and he fired Larry. 
He did fire Larry Fedora. Yeah. yeah. So like, they, I mean, they, they got the new offense there with, uh, um, what's his name from BYU? Jeff Grimes. Um, yep. I, I'm interested. Look, obviously, I, I, Mel Tucker is one that I'm extremely interested to see mm-hmm. because almost nobody was hired later than Mel Tucker was at Michigan State. And you know, they're a fascinating one. What, what, what do you think of that team this year? Is that a team you think is going to make it a, make it to a bowl? Like they're, they're a real wild card for me. I do think there is some talent on that team. Kind of bullish on Mel Tucker as a coach. I, I could see that, you know, making some big strides this year. I'll be very interested to see. Well, we'll, we'll save Norvell because I, I have another item I want to talk about as far as certain teams that fit. Mel Tucker beat Michigan in year one. He did. I, I can't take that from him, but I cannot explain it. Like, I can't really. It, you go and you look at uh, at what happened in that year. Like, to, to your point, to think that just less than a month after you get hired, COVID hits, the world shuts down, Big Ten cancels, then brings it back, and you're going to be tasked to, to go in there and get this team mentally ready. Like, if, if, I, if you're a Michigan State fan, you're going to love what I'm going to sell you. He could not really do anything about his roster, but what he could do is he could figure out a way to motivate them and prepare them to go out and win. They beat Michigan and the Big Ten West champ Northwestern. A good a, a Northwestern team that I think was one of the good, you know, we catch the the really good Northwestern teams every couple of years now in the Pat Fitzgerald era. Those two wins are awesome wins. And it almost allows me to sit back and have that confidence in, in Mel Tucker, even knowing that there's still so much more to do in terms of uh, having the kind of players that are going to be able to make you a real uh, contender in that division, a real threat to Ohio State. Man, like... Michigan and Northwestern are really good wins, especially considering everything that Tucker and that program had to overcome. No doubt they are. Uh, Chip, something, something else I'm pretty interested in here is this is the first year of the immediate eligibility for the transfer portal. And we had some teams that absolutely went bananas in the portal. So, you know, FSU, they could have as many as like seven or eight starters who are transfers mm. as they're 22. Um, Oklahoma, could have four or five USC could have a whole lot. I mean, they, they took what eight or nine transfers at least this year. Uh, Penn state took a couple UCLA got some really important ones, uh, in, in, including Jay Toya. If those teams exceed expectations, I am interested to see if, uh, if other coaching staffs are going to be more willing to go out and aggressively pursue transfers as a way to, to do a quick fix for their team. I don't know that it's totally the solution. It's probably not a long-term solution, but if you need to kind of get a jump start and get some momentum, especially if you're a year one coach uh, or a year zero type coach, it may not be the worst thing in the world. So I'm interested to see how those turn out. How is the chemistry going to be on those teams? It's like those guys, yeah, they all have decent experience. We think they're somewhere between below average to above average type players, but there, there's some certainty to their ability level. There is a lot of uncertainty as to how they'll play together, how they'll mesh, how they'll pick up the system. You know, some of those games early on for those teams could be pretty ugly if they're relying on a whole bunch of transfers who just got on campus. It's just, in some ways, it's like playing freshman, uh, and in some ways it's not because they've obviously played the game of college ball before. I don't think that if it goes poorly, anyone will back off. Like I think if it goes well, like you mentioned, we could see the trend become more popular. But That's if it fair. goes poorly... I think that we're still too early 
And too many coaches would just blame the the coaching staff or figure out other reasons to be like, no, no, no. Well, it's it's like the no, 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 no. But it'll be different for me, right? That you've got to have enough of an ego as a head coach to be like, oh yeah, well, you know, that didn't work out because look at the so and so coach here. We'll be able to fix it. I think that you'll continue to see probably about the same amount of uh, about the same amount of like new starters. I don't have a good feel for. Uh, any expectation except for the fact that when you are getting someone who knows how to practice, I do think it's better than a freshman. Like you just, yeah. you know how to go about your business. You, you've you got that experience that is going to be, uh, I think I would take that over somebody who I still have to teach how to be a college student, a member of this football program, like the, the off-field type stuff. I, I would agree with that. I think it's pretty fair. Where, I, uh, where do you want to go now? Uh, real quick, look, while we're here in the year two, I think that Eli Drinkwitz uh, had probably the sexiest five and five that you could imagine during the COVID year. He, he got his cornerback in Connor Basilak. There was a lot of uh, encouraging signs from the way that team played. But there's one more year where I think he can really capitalize on this because of all the coaching changes we've gotten on that side of the SEC do you think that Missouri is going to uh, in, end up capitalizing on that and put themselves in a position where they're probably right there with Kentucky contending to be the third best team in the division? I'm glad you brought up Kentucky because, Chip, that is exactly the way that, that I see it personally. Um, Kentucky made the change in the offseason to go ahead and try to throw the football better, and they in some ways are kind of going away from what they did well. Um, it's an interesting move they made. I think it's probably to try to keep pace with the exploding nature or like the exploding landscape of college football as far as being able to hit big plays through the air and be explosive. Like now you can't be what you were in 2015. It's just we, we've seen it with AM too. At some point, it does hurt you. Um, I kind of buying in on Missouri though. I, I think that the, the corner they got from Tulsa was a really important get for them. And their defense should be better this year, just with more reps under the scheme. Um, but I'm kind of buying in on, on, on Connor Basilak. Who do they draw they, from the, uh, from the West? They draw, they get Arkansas and A&M. So tough, you know, but it's tough, but there's no Bama. Right. I think you'd rather have the A&M game on the road, which means you would have an easier uh, home game because you're going to lose A&M either way, most likely, uh, but you do get George on the road. So you get home games, South Carolina, Florida. I mean, who knows if Mullen's off to the NFL at that point? <laughs> Joking, but you know they they did kind of have a weird weird finish to last year's uh, season. Um, you get Tennessee at home. Boston College away is kind of an intriguing one. I don't even know who I'd favor in that matchup. Probably a toss up. Kentucky is away. I I don't love. I like who's on the schedule. I don't particularly love where the games are being played. I guess, but I, I am sort of bullish on, on Missouri. I think they could be one of these year two jump teams. The uh, uh yeah I think that's it for all the the year two coaches that uh, I wanted to take a look at what um what else stands out for you underrated storylines for twenty twenty one um well we 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 talked about some of the transfer teams we, we we talked about the the year two coaches um I think if you want to go national it's not super underrated but well actually no let, let's go to this the first month for the Pac twelve. Washington, UC- Michigan, U- Oregon, Ohio State, UCLA, LSU. Um, I mean, you have those are three of your top five teams 
in the league. That's aggressive for the Bruins, but I'll take, I'll, I'll give it to you. I'm trying to think like I maybe would take Utah over them depending on Arizona state. So like three of the top six, I would yeah. say, cause there's nobody in the North I would take other than those two over UCLA. If they get embarrassed, I mean, we the national narrative against the Pac-12 is, is going to be pretty difficult. Yes. Like with with the – you could lose them all, but let at least Oregon, Ohio State be competitive. You know, if yeah. let at least the Washington-Michigan game be a, a low-scoring, one-possession rock fight that kind of is like, oh, okay, I, I understand why these two teams played this kind of game and – Somebody either did or didn't make a field goal, and that ends up deciding it. I, I think you could go 0-3, but it, as long as they are close, let let two of those be blowouts and it be 0-3, and I would that's what I would consider getting embarrassed. I, I would agree with you there. Uh, it's going to be fascinating. I mean, and, and you have, obviously, Jimmy Lake is, is not in any kind of danger. I, I think most people are fairly sold on Mario Cristobal as far as running a program. Mm-hmm. Very sold on him as far as recruiting. Maybe not so much sold on on in game coaching, uh, but overall, like I think strides. he's done a tremendous job there. Yeah, I think we've right. seen strides. You know, he he was in the uh, the old unfair treatment that I gave James Franklin, where you know I got a couple of examples a couple years back that just really had me scratching my head. I write down the little note in the pad, like I don't know about this guy as an in game coach. And I think it's been a while since I've I've had those same observations. I I think it is possible, much like us as podcast hosts and and writers and uh, you know directors and and everything else. Like we can improve, and we hope we are improving. I hope if you're being paid four million dollars a year to be a head football coach, that if there is something that is even a perceived weakness, that it improves over time. I'm I'm giving Mario Cristobal. I'm taking him off the. Uh, you know, the hit list when it comes to these in-game coaching jokes. I, I think that's fair. Um, I, so sticking with, with UC, the UCLA game, I could pivot slightly to LSU here. Okay. That's not a real under-the-radar storyline, but, man, it is an interesting storyline, Chip. I, they, could, they could win the national title. They could finish 6-6. Six and six. And I don't know. We may do a whole show on this, but like or a whole segment. Is there another team out there that has a wider potential range of outcomes just based on talent and then also, you know, potential cultural issues? No. With unquestionably no. There is the only other like wide range is if we actually take it to uh the other end of the spectrum where we're like, yeah, I don't know. This team could be 8 and 4, but they could be 2 and 10, right? Like we would have to find a team with we would have to find the anti LSU, a team with almost no talent, but like all these like built in uh, the the players are there, the coaching's really good, and, and we're not sure which way it could go. Like off the top of my head, like Boston College. If Boston College goes eight and four, I'll say sure. If they go two and ten, I'll be like, well, Phil Jakovic got hurt, like and that passing game went in the tank. Uh, that you would have to find an anti LSU because there's no one that has the level of talent, and also, I, I think, a floor where things could bottom out based on uh, based on environmental scenarios off the field. I mean, the LSU's returning experience is awesome. They are only two years removed now from winning a national title, but they have new coordinators, and they're trying to recapture the magic on, on offense from, from when they had, had Joe Burrow and those guys. Uh, we'll see how that goes. They very publicly did not get their first choice for defensive coordinator, but they – Got a guy they're hyping up a lot now. 
from what the Minnesota Vikings. Mm -hmm. I think that could work out. It's hard to play bad defense when you have the level of talent that LSU has, which makes me question a little bit what was going on there last year as far as were there problems internally that suggested maybe there are some issues there. Does that order on if those exist, because I can't prove they did, but I have pretty strong suspicions. If those issues were, were in-house, did Ed Orgeron address those? Did he get them right? Is that program going to be moving in the right direction? So that... Uh, you know who the only other team is? Put that in. The, the only other team I'd put on that list uh, right now, because Texas A&M has a talent, but they've also got a really high floor. I just don't think the yeah. bottom falls out there. Uh, year one... Te- oh, I was going to say year one Texas could go poorly. That, that could be... Yeah, no doubt. Like year one Texas... I think their ceiling is potentially like if everything went perfectly and they caught some breaks, they could win the Big 12. They could also go three and six in Big 12. Right. I'm yeah. not putting them, I'm not going to give them a win over Oklahoma in the Big 12 title game. I think their ceiling is to make the Big 12 that's title fair. game. And that would be uh that would be a great accomplishment. But that's another one where I could also see it being, you know, you could lose to Louisiana. You know, you could all of a sudden take five or six uh, Big 12 losses, and then all of a sudden things get you're, – you're sweating out making a bowl game in November and December. Uh, I I think that the only other team that I would consider with as much variance as LSU would have to be uh, the Texas Longhorns. All right. So here's one for you. Okay. Um, speaking of, of how much do you want to read into 2020, how much you buying into Indiana, Ship? Like, do you think what, what we saw last year was was real or repeatable? Not the number of wins. I do not think the record is repeatable. I think that it was uh, an example of a team with a really, really good coach who has built up a, a really good culture in a Big Ten season where everything, where there were just so many obstacles. I mean, it was just like a, an old Nickelodeon game show, just making it through the season in the big 10 with the way that it went. And I think that the Indiana's ability to win some of those close games. I mean, Tom was betting against Indiana on the locks pod like every damn week because he was looking at the like Same. win expectancy and he was looking at the turnover difference and the points off turnover. And he's like, this is not sustainable, but they still found ways to get it done. I, I think that that is a great reflection of the health of the program under Tom Allen's leadership. I believe that take the extraneous circumstances away, they become a little bit more normal. And that's a very good thing that when things get tough, your program rises to the occasion. When you've got injury issues and your program rises to the occasion, that's great. But I do not think the record is repeatable. I I agree with you on that um, 100%. I really like that coaching staff. I think they do a tremendous job. I'm not sure their talent is is that great. I think seven and five or worse is more likely than eight and four or better. I think that's probably right. When you're power ranking the East, do you put them ahead of Michigan? Um, I have them like a point and a half behind Michigan. And then Penn State ahead of both? Yeah. Interesting. Uh, all right, one more before we get out of here since we're talking about teams. Let me throw this one at you. Uh, the NC State Wolfpack are the fourth best team in the ACC. I mean, I don't know why you're stopping there. Because I, I'm, not be gonna put them, I'm not going to put them ahead of Miami. 
because they could be though. They, well, I mean, they're going to get their chance because that's been my my conversation with uh, NC State fans has been: Look, you have a roster that might be a nine or ten win roster, but the problem is, and and I say, and I think you're the fourth best team in the ACC. The problem is number one, number two, and number three are all on your schedule, and you've got a road trip to Mississippi State. So, like, before we even start to talk about NC State football trying to win in Winston-Salem, an absolute house of horrors in that home-and-home relationship, uh, and before we talk about, like, going up to Boston College and one of those weird, trappy kind of games, like, a an NC State team that plays to my very high expectations of being the fourth-best team in the ACC is still a, you know, 8-4 and four or 9-3 and three type team. And I think that's a... That leaves them... And because they're, what's their win total in Vegas is 6.5 or 7... I think that that leaves them. Uh, yeah, I, I played very over off six, the radar uh, earlier. Yeah, they're very was... off the radar because of that. I mean, Sam Howell at North Carolina is probably going to be the ACC preseason player of the year, and so they're just. I mean, and NC State fans are going to hate it, but you're just going to be like right beside this behemoth, you know, Mac Brown, Sam Howell, you know, energy hype buzz machine, and I think that we are going to be overlooking and underrating the NC State Wolfpack. I agree with you on that. Um, Chip, I think if NC State has the same number of wins that it did last year, right, it'll be a pretty big accomplishment. Yes. They got a lot of schedule breaks last year. Uh, They managed to do that without Devin Leary for a lot of their games. I think Devin Leary is a much better quarterback uh, than um, Bailey Hockman was, personally. I'm not really a believer in Bailey Hockman. I think NC State is one of these sneaky teams where they're not going to get guys on the national, like all-American teams. But I think they have plenty of guys who will be uh, littered throughout the second and third string of the All-ACC team. And that makes them pretty dangerous. Uh, also, I want to point out uh, ESPN's FPI, uh, they updated. They, they, they kind of dropped this late last week. Did you see this? Is Mississippi State no longer in the top 10? Yeah, they figured out that there were some data issues, apparently. And Mississippi State is not like the number six team in the country out of, out of nowhere. Uh, yeah, that was... Uh, Another, another reminder, they have Bill Connolly on staff, and they, they for some un, <laughs> well, unknown reason, they choose to feature this FBI crap. So, uh, Kenny White, the Wizard of Odds from Sportsline and on CBS Sports HQ, uh, someone who's he's been uh, on this podcast before. Uh, he's he's a pal, and uh, I really enjoy uh, doing you know picks against him. You know they always they always get us head to head. Like let's go to the the guy who the actual former bookmaker, and now let's go to this Muppet looking guy in his office to like talk about the narratives and the storylines and the feels. Very arts and science when they pair us against each other. And I uh, got his his preview book uh, from Kenny White Sports and his power ratings. And sure enough, he's got NC State power rated at number six in the country. Hey, that's a little high for me. Six. But, okay. All right. Projected I, I just, wins like nine, I think, is what he's got it. I mean, it is, it, it is, uh, and I, I went down into the numbers. You know, he loves uh, Grant Gibson. You know, he, he loves Bam Knight. He loves Devin Leary. He finds him like very much a, a top-level quarterback. Um, yeah, Wolfpack. But that, that's it. I was just, it was just sixth there, in the country. That's, there is a way that they're the best team in the ACC, by the way. And that is? So, Clemson, uh, in the spring game, uh, Tyson Fomichon, I'm mispronouncing his name, he, he was their backup You're quarterback. You're close, it's Fomichon. Fomichon. Uh, he tore his, AC, or his Achilles, rather. Mm-hmm. So, 
I'm not really sure what the timeline is on that. Typically, that's like seven or eight months normally. So I don't think he's going to be back for the beginning of the season unless it's some sort of you know, miracle recovery or maybe some kind of partial tear, of which I'm not aware. Uh, the quarterback who they signed out of Georgia just got drafted by the Pittsburgh Pirates in the baseball draft, and he changed his Twitter bio to ball player at Pirates. And he tweeted stuff about how he made some lifelong friends at Clemson. Now, I don't typically tweet about how I made lifelong friends at a place unless I'm leaving said place. And Pittsburgh saved a whole lot of money with their first round pick so they can go and they can uh, kind of give some more money to guys in those second, third, and fourth rounds like the kid they just picked from Clemson. Uh, that means Clemson's backup quarterback right now is a walk-on who's not any good. And their, their emergency QB, by the way, was a guy by the name of Darion Kendrick who has now transferred to Georgia. He's a corner uh, who got booted from Clemson for some stuff, which I believe charges dropped. So uh, I think Kendrick will be playing for, for UGA this fall. That's an interesting scenario for, for the Tigers. Like DJ has got to stay healthy through that first month. I don't think they can win anything if they don't have him, but they're especially in a bad situation if, uh, if he were to go, somehow go down. Knock on wood, love DJ, awesome kid. Like that's a weird situation for a title contender to be with literally no scholarship backup quarterback who's healthy. The uh and that so Bubba Chandler, if you were assuming Bubba signs, but yeah, I, like, I'm I'm under that assumption. Okay, I was I thought that it was still up in the air, but the Twitter profile change generated uh, a lot of a lot of belief that yeah he might uh, decide to take up that career in Major League Baseball instead of coming to be uh, a backup quarterback for a potential national title contender. Now, you know Hunter Helms, aka Hunter Hurst Helms. I think he could go out there and hand off the ball, and they could ride a really good defense to win a lot of games. But the biggest disappointment, if we're in that position, is that an elite wide receiver room wouldn't have somebody who's going to be able to push the ball down the field and really open up that passing game the same way that DJ you can, uh, two things come to mind that can be good news. Number one, DJ's so thick. Like he's just so big. Uh, it, it would, you know, I, I feel like his, um, his ability to withstand hits. I do not consider him a frail or fragile quarterback. That's something good. And number two, uh, since you mentioned Darion Kendrick, this is no reporting. This is no sourcing. This is just guess. Do you think that they would go like Will Shipley, Wildcat quarterback? At some point, you have to. That's the that right? would be like the best option for if we're trying to go emergency. Just figure it out. Put somebody at that position. Just because he's, I, I can, I know he's a rare athlete at least. So Davo Swinney is notoriously stubborn on things. Right. Um, yes. He did not budge on allowing guys to take spring visits and he got two pretty big commitments over the weekend. So that's, you know, um, that's something to, to look at there. So he, he kind of had some confirmation bias or well, some the validation of his of his methods. They also don't take transfers. Do you think this situation, even if it doesn't prove to be uh, one that ultimately hurts them, will make him reconsider his stance on transfers? For next year, yes, I think he has to. I do too. I think he's uh, he's starting to see because he's starting to see a lot of things change around him, and I, I think that he is going to find that in this new world that he exists at the top of college football, if he's going to stay there and has any desire to stay there, then he might reconsider that. Coming up on the other side, Bud just mentioned it. Clemson picked up a 
couple of key pieces for the 2022 class and Lincoln Riley, eyes emoji, catching fish and catching a key piece, yet another blue chip quarterback. All that and more from the recruiting trail next. The all new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. That's right. We've been telling you all week long. We are so proud to be finalists for the Podcast Choice, People's Choice Awards. That's right, and it's all because of you. We appreciate all you guys do for us, and we hope you enjoy our show enough to nominate us to advance to the final round. To nominate the Cover 3 podcast, go to podcastawards.com slash app slash sign up, then toggle down to the sports category. We've included the link in the episode description just to make it easy, but go to podcastawards.com slash app slash sign up, Go over to the sports category and nominate the Cover 3 podcast. We'll put the link in the episode description. We want to be there at the People's Choice Podcast Awards. We want to be winning in the sports category. So go ahead and nominate the Cover 3 podcast for the People's Choice Podcast Awards. Once again, that is at podcastawards.com slash app slash sign up. Did you see that big old sailfish Lincoln caught over the weekend? No, uh uh-uh. It's if uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and, and set this up on Malachi Nelson, but uh, he, he popped it on Twitter. But it, it looked like he said it was his, his first time. I'm not good at like judging the weight of fish, but it was at least, you know, we need two people to, to go ahead and hold this thing kind of fish. And he looks so happy. And he also, you know, dropped the, the coach eyes emojis at the end of it. And I was like, man, he caught a big ass fish and he got five-star quarterback for the 2023 class. That's right. Malachi Nelson commits to Oklahoma, which means that for those keeping track, after Spencer Rattler, again, from the recruiting trail, we've talked about this is one of the things that's really interesting about Lincoln Riley's Oklahoma. You know, these are no longer the transfer quarterbacks that won Heisman trophies. These are ones that Lincoln has recruited to Norman. So Spencer Rattler, who is going to be one of the uh, names at the top of the Heisman odds board, uh, Caleb Williams, 
who is right behind him and uh, some believe is the best quarterback in that quarterback room. Now from the 2023 class, which means he is a junior in high school right now, Malachi Nelson has committed to the Sooners. Uh, what what do you think about Malachi? And uh, was it a surprise at all through his recruitment that he ended up following in this line of just alpha quarterbacks? It, it really wasn't much of a surprise uh, for at least a couple months. But Oklahoma has been a, a, an absolute destination for the top quarterbacks in the country. They, they very rarely miss. Uh, they, they had Brock Vandergriff in last year's cycle uh, until he flipped to Georgia. Um, and then they ended up with Caleb Williams, a guy who was rated you know, uh, higher than, than Vandergriff was. Uh, but Nelson, you know, six foot three guy, skinny right now, but it's fine. He's a sophomore. Got got a, got a pretty whippy arm, good velo on it, solid athlete, accomplished player, very well known in SoCal. Like it, it, it's early chip. Like rankings change a whole lot, but quarterback recruiting happens earlier and earlier every year. You have to be good at identifying them. You got to figure out what traits you look for. You're right. We've let to see, or we have yet to see Lincoln Riley develop a high school quarterback into a superstar. But I think. If Spencer Rattler follows through with what many of us think he's going to do this year, that conversation will be totally uh, put to rest. And that's a hell of a pipeline that Riley has there with Rattler, Williams, and now Malachi Nelson coming in. So awesome job. Committed on CBS HQ. As you mentioned, that's quickly becoming the destination for the top recruits in the country. If you want to get on actual TV, you know, get hundreds of thousands of eyeballs on you, that's, that's where you go to do it. That's right. CBS Sports HQ. Come holler at us if you want to set it up. Bud will get you set. Steve Wiltfong will get you set. I mean, I'll give you Randy Brickley's number. All right. I'll just give it to you. You can, you can call and Randy. Randy will text you. Ray, and Randy will set it up. Shout out to Randy Brickley. Uh, make it, making things move over at CBS Sports HQ. So then Clemson, uh, as we move from the 2023 class, 2022 class, you mentioned it earlier, Clemson, uh, picked up a pair of defensive backs. We got Daylon Everett and Keon Sab. Uh, and then was Tyler, were they both IMG? Uh, yeah. And was Tyler Booker, the five-star offensive lineman who committed to Alabama over Georgia, that's also IMG? Uh, yes. Okay, yeah, so this all, is like... All three of those guys were. Yeah, that's the, you know, Bradenton, that's, you know, right around your neck of the woods. Uh, did What do you make about some of these big names uh, go ahead and making their commitments for the uh, 2022 class? Honestly, I, I think it, it's a great day for Clemson. They, they managed to land, uh, you know, Keon and Dalen without getting them in on official visits for the spring or for the summer. Like, that's pretty remarkable that, that they were able to do so. Um, and Dabo just didn't budge, said, if you want in, all right, but we're not doing it. We're not doing officials in the summer, just doesn't believe in it. And I don't know many other schools that do that, Chip. So that, that is pretty impressive. I think Dalen's a really good cover corner. They beat out North Carolina for his services. Uh, a couple other schools were in that, but ultimately Clemson was the one to see that they really, really push and, and they go for it. They may be able to, to pull him. Uh, UNC, I think, felt good for at least part of this recruitment. And then things changed uh, later in the process. With Sav, I, I think he is probably more of a linebacker. Ooh, okay. At, at, at the college level, having seen him in person, I think his frame is just already that big, but also with room to grow. So I could see him being one of these new age linebackers who has the ability to cover. I think he's an impact, impact player at that spot, somebody who's not going to be asked to be in coverage uh, quite as much as he is now. And I, I think he'll trend that way uh, throughout his recruitment. I mean, it, he's not going to get any smaller than he is right now. 
uh, but two really nice additions there for Clemson. With Tyler Booker going to Alabama, uh, five-star offensive tackle, I believe. On, is he five-star on the composite? I, I think so. I've got him. Yeah, um, I've got him listed as a five-star in my notes. And so we have him so. as we have him as a four-star, I believe, at twenty-four-seven, just for our internal rankings. Uh, check here. Yeah, so we we have him as a ninety-five, which is a tremendously good grade for this early in the process. We've only doled out uh, not too many five stars yet in this process. So, um, really nice player there. He not necessarily the prototypical tackle body. I would say physically. He's less Andrew Thomas and more. Uh, remember Wills, the guy for for Alabama, Jedrick uh, Wills. Jedrick, yeah, yeah. Um, he's more similar, I think, physically. Just seeing him to Jedrick Wills than he is like an Andrew Thomas. If you want to comp those body types, that was a really good get for the Tide. Um, Georgia, I guess, finished second there. Florida felt really good in this one for a long time, and that's certainly a blow to to Dan Mullen to to not be able to reel in another fish because U.S. already proven that they can do certain things in this level under Mullen. The one thing they haven't proven is the ability to go toe-to-toe consistently with Alabama or Georgia for recruits, and you know their, their fans on their message board are understandably pretty pissed about this one. Were they reacting to this announcement with yeah, they were not some, real happy. some frustration? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Do you think Dan Mullen is uh, – all right, so two, two follow-ups. Number one – how has Clemson been doing recruiting the defensive backfield because uh, the losses to, you know, if you want to talk about underrated under the like, like way below the fold little storyline that I might not be a big deal, but I'm at least tracking, you know, the loss to LSU, the loss to Ohio state, the defensive backfield for the Clemson tigers, you know, just a, a little bit of a, a point of concern. Um, and so I, I was wondering, do they follow in line with a way that they've been able to address that in terms of uh, upping the quality of player that they have uh, in the secondary? You know, Chip, I, I think they do, but also I, I would push back a little bit on that uh, if I can. Sure. Those two, te- those two teams that we highlighted had the best receiving core in the country by far, I think, in that LSU team. And then the number two receiving group in the country in, in Ohio State and yeah, they, they did get torched by, by both of them, but they were also they were, they were outplayed in other areas in those games as well, I think. And my guess here is that the NFL will will prove out that those guys were actually pretty good. They just went up against some better players there. Clips has done a, a decent job recruiting the, the secondary recently. They, they, they got Nate Wiggins last year. They got Makuba, who, who's a you know a, a pretty rangy safety out of Texas. They, they got a couple. I knew they had a couple kids in the prior class. Um, Hold on. So they had Fred Davis, right, at, out of Jacksonville, who, who was a, a high four-star type player, top 100 kid. They had R.J. Mickens out, out of Texas. They're, they're trying to reload it more this year, but it's not like they've been recruiting poorly. And I would be more concerned if they got lit up you know, more than just those two times. But for the most part, like, they still smoke everybody. And you could say it's ACC and you know they don't face a whole lot of great passing attacks necessarily. And that's probably true, but Miami put up a whole lot of points on a lot of people last year. Mm-hmm. And when they went up to Clemson, Clemson said, hey, watch this. And we're going to man you up. We're going to play solos on the outside. And you guys ain't going to be able to do a damn thing about it. And Miami was just totally shut down because their receivers, they they got beat up. They, they, they got locked and with, 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 with really not a lot of safety help, you know? So I, I'm not quite as down on Clemson's secondary as – as those two games would indicate, but I think you you make a good point there. So 
remember that they looked at Miami's wide receivers and said, we've seen you guys. We don't like, we understand what this is. We can go head to head there. So I should remember that they dominated that matchup. Not just that they, uh, they got lit up through the air in those, uh, those two college football playoff losses. I think so. Uh, and you know, we'll, we'll see. They don't play Carolina this year unless they meet in the championship game, but that, that'll be probably the next one to look at. By then, Carolina's receivers will probably have emerged. There's going to be some guys who who come up in, in addition to Josh Downs. And uh, also, just situationally, to, to be fair, there was it also seemed like there was some just a kick-ass game plan from somebody who we consider as a top-five coach in Ryan Day. Because remember, you're right. It is like one of the best wide receiver rooms, but... I, I remember that it was the tight ends that were lighting up Clemson, you know, especially in those red zone situations when uh, it was just, they, they clearly had found something that, uh, that they liked uh, any other recruiting headlines uh, from over the weekend. You predicted that with the lack of commitments in June, that July was going to be really big. You, you called your shot. Uh, any, anything else we should keep our eyes on? I mean, we had, uh, so we, we, we list 50, 50 commits per page here on 24 seven, We've had 50 commits uh, at the D1 level since 7 slash 15. So in the last four days, or last Jeez. five days, we've had, yeah. I mean, I guess you really can't count today because we're recording this in the morning. Most kids don't commit before noon. So like the last four days, we've had, had a 50 spot up on the board. A lot of guys coming off. This is only going to create more kids committing because what they're going to see is, all right, the school that I had tops on my list now has filled my spot. So I'm going to have to go to my, my plan B. Schools also have to go to their plan B because somebody they were recruiting went to, let's say, Alabama, right? And now they're going to have to go to somebody else who they wanted. So, you know, take Booker. Like, we'll see where Georgia and Florida turn. Do they expand their board? Do they offer more guys? That's usually just depending on if they really thought they were going to get the kid uh, or, or not. And oftentimes, you know, staffs, they, they typically know. I got gotcha. you. Not yeah. always, but but often. Yeah, but the fans don't, and that's why you got to get on that message board to see everybody all upset that Dan Mullen can't get the job done bringing in the uh, the big offensive tackle. Mm. <laughs> Florida, I believe, will be uh, addressing the media here in the early parts. When we come back with you midweek, uh, we will be reacting to some of what we've seen and heard uh, across the media day's landscape. So make sure you're subscribed to the Cover 3 podcast. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash cover3, and so you can get that multi-platform excellence. You can follow him on Twitter at BudElliott3. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Bud, thank you very much. See you, Chip. Check out this view, though. You can see these mountains behind me? It's insane. That's the Colorado River right there. Dag on. That is nice. Not bad. What are 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 your activities? Yeah, where are you? So I'm in Moab. We just got back from a little hike. We went up one of those mountains over there, and uh, we're getting ready to do a little horseback ride. And we're on a ranch, essentially. Middle of nowhere. Totally disconnected. Like, Saban could have retired at SEC Media Days, and I wouldn't know. That's awesome. So the girls are loving it. But I just wanted to pop in and say hello. Sick. Nice. <laughs> say right. what's up. Awesome, man. So, Glad you guys right. have a good time out there, dude. All right. Take care. See you. See you, guy. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving nonstop goals, highlights, 
and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.